Welcome to another episode of Behind the Sport. I think this will be about episode 52 that we're up to now. And uh, joining just me today, because uh, Brent's off working his butt off as usual, is uh, Chris Mitchell. It's How gonna, are you? It's going to be just one way that Brent can afford all these fancy race cars. Is he goes and works his backside off. Absolutely does. Now, um, Chris Mitchell, for anyone who ha- does not know who he is, um, shame on you for starters. Um, <laughs> but um, for, former former Ford racer years ago, uh, a lifetime um, ago, wasn't it? Yeah, um, karting racer. Yeah, even a bigger yeah. lifetime ago. Bigger <laughs> lifetime ago. I'm just I, I'm, I'm doing the old questioning thing because I'm just trying to make sure I've got all this right. Um, and um, RC racer. Yeah, we did a fair bit of that. <laughs> And uh, currently, uh, if you heard the Gianni Lutsu episode, um, of course, he's a uh, virtual sim racer now as well. And on top of that, he just doesn't shut up. He gets on a microphone somewhere and (laughs) takes us away on a journey. And I I like to, when I try and explain, so obviously as a commentator, I try and explain your your enthusiasm around motorsport <laughs> i often say it's, it's like a it, he's like a big kid excited about motorsport yeah which, I, I get which a bit like is that. awesome like it's, it's a good way of commentating and you also do know your shit um but like when you get excited like you get absolutely excited and you know, you take everyone with you when you do it, which is pretty cool to do. So, and yeah, I liken you to an excitable kid um, when you're in the commentary booth. Um, but that is not at all derogatory towards you. Uh, <laughs> it's actually a um, what do they call it again? A compliment. That's a compliment. Yeah, that's yeah. good. And I'll take that. And this is why I could never be in a comment as a commentator. Like, I'd never be able to be a commentator because I just go down all these weird and wonderful tangents and forget words. And you know, meanwhile, you know, like for drag racing right now, what would be about five passes would have happened. <laughs> you know, and then we're going. Oh, by the way, such and such is coming out. <laughs> We've all seen and heard that happen before. <laughs> so, um. Look, you've just been over east. Um, got you've been, you've actually done a bit of travelling, but you've just been over east and just flying back in. And you're saying that uh, you're probably heading off over east again soon. Um, how did? It, let's take it all the way back to the very beginning. How did you get involved with motorsport? Jeez, um, oh you, you, the easiest way to say this, I was probably indoctrinated into no, motorsport. Uh, my granddad. Noel Mitchell, a few people around Perth would would have uh, heard of him, and a few would still be young enough to you know listen to podcasts and that. Uh, Noel was president of the Sporting Car Club. Jeez, I'm gonna step out and say the seventies, um, but he was involved at Cavisham before that, and cool. and raced a Lotus Cortina, um, of which you know he he built as a race car that was originally a road car, and it was a daily driver and a race car at the same time. That's how he got involved and doing things like that. And um, then he was president of the Sporting Car Club uh, during my dad's childhood and stuff like that. And in his later years of involvement in motorsport, he was involved still with the Sporting Car Club, but involved heavily within camps as a steward. And for many years, he ran uh, things like the the new drivers kind of programs to help 
new drivers get their racing licenses and, and get them involved. So with his involvement, then my dad's involvement as a mechanic, dad, dad never really seemed to want to do too much of the driving stuff, but he was always involved as a mechanic. Basically, the day that I popped out in, uh, in 1992, dad turned around to my mum and said, when he's old enough, he's going to race go-karts. <laughs> and the rest is history. <laughs> That's kind of how I got started. So in the early 2000s, I started racing in karts. I wanted to go kart racing. I think dad kind of tricked me into it in the in like 99 you know took me to took me to wander a go-kart track to watch the racing and watch mum watch simon wed running around in in the the awesome you know 200 twins and i said dad i want to race go-karts dad i want to race go-karts and so sure enough it was you know just after my eighth birthday which was the minimum age back then and uh mum took me to dad's workshop in osborne park and there was a a go-kart sitting on a on a trolley and i got to run laps up and down the driveway at the workshop and it just kind of snowballed from there, which was uh, – it's been a cool childhood. And I'm one of the – you know, those lucky kids. These these kids these days don't realize how lucky they are because karting's not cheap. Like even no. back then it wasn't bloody cheap. Um, so I'm one of the lucky ones that had the opportunities given to me by my parents who worked really hard and, you know, invested a lot in me. I was an only child, so they didn't have anyone else to throw the money at. Um <laughs> it meant I could go racing in, in go-karts and then in, in Formula Fords when I was in my mid-teens. And then I decided to be a shithead and go toy car racing instead. Yeah, right. And probably more expensive than the buddy go-karts from what uh, I've heard. For how much I did it, yeah. And that was what really <laughs> got me going at first. You know, we had some success in karts, um, you know, and a bit of success in, in Formula Fords, but I was doing less racing for more money. And I looked at RC car racing and went, shit, I can race Wednesday night, I can race Tuesday night, I can race Friday night, I can race on the weekend for the same money. And I can do that 52 weeks a year. It wasn't until I thought I was half good and started trying to travel the country, uh, you know, racing at various state titles and trying to qualify for a world championship that then I started spending a lot more money. <laughs> <laughs> when you uh, first went out um, on the go-kart track, was, did you get straight away into something competitive you know, in terms of a competitive event or did you just go turn laps for a while? Uh, the first time, so I did a lot of running up and down the driveway at first and Dad tells me it wasn't until the day that I went, hey, Dad, watch this, and then went and did three 360s down the driveway that he went, okay, you're ready for the track. <laughs> um, but it, it was short-lived because I think the first time I went out at the track, it was Wanneroo go-kart track, and I had uh, a midget kart. That's what they were back then. They're not cadets. We're not PC with cadets' names in the early 2000s. Um, they were called midgets and rookies, and I had a coma, a little pull start 80cc engine, um, and I still managed to bury that thing up to the axle. <laughs> in open practice and and that was that was uh my first experience on a racetrack just burying the thing in the dirt and going oh sorry dad <laughs> the um your first time entering a race how did you go um i came third i came okay. third it was it was one of the i think it was a january or february club meeting at Wanneroo. uh so it was under lights um and the day started brilliantly because we'd been up there and we'd only been practicing on the full track at Wanneroo, which for those who know Wanneroo, I think it's 1,025 or 1,050 metres. I should know this. I commentate there all the time um, with the long, twisty, windy layout. And, Dad, we, we'd neglected to realise that at this event they were running one of the optional layouts and they skipped one of the things and, and, and so they went backwards to what usually was forwards in one area. And Dad just said, Chris, just go out and follow the black lines. You'll be right. So I went out there for the morning practice and I followed the racing line 
and I doubled back and I came head on to the rest of the field <laughs> <laughs> and then went, oh, crap, and stopped, turned around and followed the other go-karts. Um, but it got better because I was in a field of four and somebody DNF'd uh, one or two of the heats and so I came third at my first ever race. <laughs> okay, well, I was not expecting that to be how you came third. Yeah, oh, no, not like uh, sorry, it was down to my sheer driving brilliance at the age of eight years of age, eight years old. Yes, um, and it was funny that because one of the guys at DNF all the time was uh, the at the time state champion and a kid I grew up idolizing, uh, Josh Hughes. He had a DNF, and that meant I got third for the day. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's um. I love these first-time racing stories. <laughs> it's always there's, a corker. There's always there's always something. There's always a little twist at the end. I'll or, add to it. Yep. It was the same night as Nightmasters at Wanneroo. Yeah, and right. Dad took me up there after the race, and Dad had spent a few years working for the Riccadello family, touring with Tony's Alfetta, and we were in pretty close with the Riccadellos, and uh, it was the Nightmasters and dad took me and I was eight, right? I was eight. I say this now because I'm 30. I was eight. <laughs> and he walked me in and he goes, so I'll show you, honey, Maria, your trophy. And I showed her my little third place trophy. And she goes, I'll oh, come sit on my knee. And I, I sat on her knee and she goes, one day you can drive that. And she pointed to the alpha. <laughs> and I had eyes like freaking saucers, man. <laughs> like, really? One day I can drive that? <laughs> um, as, that yet? Uh, I, I did get to drive it. Okay. So it had no engine. Yep. No doors, no tailgate, no bonnet, but it had wheels. <laughs> and I sat in the driver's seat while they pushed it uh, through a part of the workshop to to get it worked on <laughs> at the workshop. Um, oh, was it's North North Perth, East Perth, uh, near Hyde Park, where they had the yep. workshop. Uh, so I have technically, in my early teens, gotten to drive the Alpha. I think I need to uh, call that in. <laughs> Do you remember when I was eight years old? <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I was tempted to in my in my late teens when I thought I was a hot shot in a Formula Ford. I was like, "Yeah, hey, I'm, I'm ready for 650 horsepower. Bring yeah. it on!" <laughs> Nowadays, uh, I know my limitations. You're no fun. No You're longer no invincible, fun. mate. Once you get old. <laughs> What's your uh, fondest memory of you if you're driving in the carts? Oh, fondest memory it was just some of the awesome racing I get I used to get to do. Like when we got to juniors, um, back then it was like when you step out of rookies, it's a whole new world because you step into the junior ranks and everyone's 13 plus and they're big kids, you know, and the testosterone's flowing because everyone's hit puberty and the racing is brutal. Yeah. Um, and I think probably my, my most memorable weekend was the Nationals. So I was fresh out of rookies. I'd done like five race meetings in junior ranks and the nationals came to Wanneroo and all the big teams rolled in, the factory CRG team and this guy in a multicolored go-kart that just looked a little bit funny, but he had the uh, he had the blue plate, which meant he was the state champion. And he just, he, he looked like he knew exactly where he belonged uh, by the name of Chaz Mostert. <laughs> and this cart looked beat to shit. Like, honestly, it had it still had tire marks up and down the side and that. Um, but we raced in a massive field of, I think it was close to capacity field. I think it was 32 at Wanneroo in Junior National Light. And my fifth ever race meeting, I qualified smack bang in the middle, um, but raced forward. It was my birthday. 
I drove from 21st to 9th in the pre-final in front of my granddad, made him proud um, and all that, you know, cool thing to do on your birthday. And then we're in the final. We had a red flag. It was 36 degrees. My dad's blowing up at officials because they wouldn't let us drink water <laughs> on the uh, in the park fermé conditions. And we finally got back out racing and it was like the dying laps and I'm the fastest kid on the racetrack. And I'm fifth. And I just passed the current state champion of WA and I'm chasing down these hotshot East Coast kids. Meanwhile, Chaz Mostert is leading the national championship. But I was faster for a moment. <laughs> I was faster <laughs> until I promptly drove it into the dirt and rolled it by myself. Oh, no. <laughs> and um, someone had to hold my mum back to stop her from climbing the fence and running across yep. the racetrack to get me. And dad comes out and big softy, my daddy goes, don't worry, I'm proud of you. <laughs> uh, that's probably one of the, the hottest memories that still you know hangs on and i'll i'll try to carry that until my until my grave you know that's one of the coolest memories of racing carts i've ever had did you uh chas moss that was obviously in town recently for uh perth supercars did you go heckle him at all and yell out oh chas i was faster than you um no nah, i didn't but i did when i went to the nationals the following year um <laughs> except we had to pinch his setup because we were woeful in practice and then it rained in qualifying and i got put into the uh the last chance and probably got taken out at turn one so we didn't even make the show <laughs> and Chaz went on to win it again by the way <laughs> back to back national champion yeah thanks Chaz. yeah uh, geez you know if, if you uh if you had of um beating him those two times you know who knows what would have happened right that's that's the crux of my the entire downfall of my racing career yeah it's just Chaz. it's all Chaz's fault Chaz's fault <laughs> now nah, Chaz yeah. is a good bloke he was always a, a cool cat as a kid and um you know now he's grown into this this character in supercars you know he's got a, a cult following which is awesome I actually grabbed this photo of um Chaz uh at Wanneroo which um it's interesting, like watching all the other drivers and you know, the dri- their rituals and everything, you know, before they go racing. And um, he was the only one that actually, it was just before qualifying. And he was actually the only one that did this. And he basically walked out the front of his garage, um, leant up against the wall, and just. Um, just stood there for a few minutes. Like no one went near him. No one spoke to him. Um, like, and I'm just showing you the photo right that's, now. So that's cool. What I'm talking about. But like, he was the only driver that it was interesting. Like he was the only driver out of the whole grid that like went up and stood against that, that fence to have their quiet moment. Like other drivers sort of stayed in you know, the back of the pits or, you know, in the motorhomes and that, but, Chaz sort of had his own little thing where he just walked out and no, that's really cool. Just stood there by himself, like none of the drive, no, none of his mechanics went near him. No one, like just. And then when he was ready, he uh, walked back in. Didn't look up at the fans or anything. Like he was just purely, yeah, it looked like he was just psyching himself up and just getting in the zone. That's a, that's a cool shot too, and it's cool to witness those kinds of moments from from you know the guys that we idolise in the sport. Yeah. Of, of how they handle themselves. Yeah, it was, and it was just interesting that like he was he was the only one that um, um, that did that. But did it, 
in terms of um, like, like, did you see that sort of thing? Like, did you guys sort of do that sort of thing where you have your focus time before a race? Back yeah. In you... I used to always be the kind of kid who would get in really early. Yeah. It, it could be 40 bloody degrees outside and I'd be in the cart in the sun just baking um, yeah. like a rotisserie chicken and just – I just needed, or I felt like I needed that moment. I, I would sit there, I'd you know, pull the visor down until it was just cracked and I just forget about everyone else around me and, and, and don't even think about racing, just taking a minute to be calm um, before I can, you know, fire it up and off we go. And I don't know whether that was because I was just super keen to get in the cart and get on with it because I, I loved it that much or whether because I needed to to try and zone out. But I carried that that same kind of thing into into the Formula Ford you know, apart from the typical pre-race ritual, I'd I'd get in there and I'd be buckled up a whole race before I was due out, yeah. um, just because I wanted the moment to to calm my brain and and try and be level level headed, I guess. Yeah. And even shit, even in go in um, RC racing, I would do the same. I'd go for a little walk. Um, the thing with RC racing is you're standing right next to the guy, and they could you know lean over and blow in your ear if they wanted to. So you can't really get away from everyone. <laughs> I mean, that'd be, yeah, we'll talk about RC racing in a little bit. <laughs> yeah, um, it's actually interesting, like, I'd get, I'd get a little crap, like, when I go to the track, any track, um, I usually get there fairly early. Yeah, you do. Of, yeah, and everyone gives me shit for it. But I actually just enjoy that quiet moment. Like, for me, my quiet moment is, you know, like the cars, yeah, the cars are rolling in, you know, to be unloaded and set up and, you know, everyone's doing their own little thing and I can just sort of walk around and just enjoy that that morning air with that that little bit of a hum. Yeah. There's something about the atmosphere at the track uh, yeah. on race day as everything, especially in the morning when the sun's coming up and it's just eerily calm. No, I'm with you. I agree. Yeah, I just like just sleep better. Yeah, I, I promised myself this year I'd, I'd sleep a bit more. But like I, the the first round, I went up there and you know I rocked in at a later time and I was unsettled the whole day. Yeah, I just didn't didn't have that moment. So um, poor Benny, who comes up with me, he's he's going to be getting the six a.m. wake up calls again, and he's going to be coming up with get out until he gets his license back. So <laughs> poor Benny. Um, but yeah, it's. And even, like, I found it really hard at supercars. Um, like I, I was running late on one of the days. Um, yeah, the first day I was up there, I was pretty much the first one up into the media room. And um, second day, I was late. Um, third day, everyone was there. Must have been there from four o'clock in the morning or something like that. They, they were there early. Um, but I was still there before the racing started. Yeah. Like before practice, before anything, before any engines got fired up. And it was just nice. So, yeah, I, I, I can I can see where that, you know, visor, visor down, lock it all out. How cool that is. It's definitely a thing. Um, it's been a theme across all my all my racing stuff that I've, I've really enjoyed just having that moment. Yeah. Um, but in commentary, I kind of just embrace the chaos. Let's swing. Let's go for it. <laughs> <laughs> the um, you eventually move up into Formula Fords. How, what brought about that change from the carts? Um, 
I would say a natural progression of wanting to do it. Like we wanted yeah. to go give it a crack, but there's there's only so much time you can spend doing the same thing and expecting a different result. Um, and that was us in karting. We would we were doing the same thing and expecting a different result, and it seemed like the right time to do it. I was old enough for cars at sixteen, and we would would have had to move into seniors in carts. And Dad and I just decided, you know, we'd spent enough time and money chasing twenty plus race weekends a year, and you know chasing the grave almost um, with the stress that it was putting on, on the home and work life that why not make the step to cars and see what we can do with it. It's the similar kind of money investment um, depending on how you do it, but you have less racing. So you can then have a bit of a life back. And so we, we decided to chase that. And there was a, there was a lull period because I wasn't quite 16 yet in that same year. So I needed, I had some time away from it and that, ultimately kind of kicked off the RC hobby. Um, and then then there was some time to get going because you got to go through your OLT and your license. And we actually got knocked back my first OLT. Um, Who and knocked you back? Grant Johnson, of all people. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a funny story. So I, I wanted to get my license, but back then you had to do an observed license test in a passenger car. Yeah, right. Well, I don't have a passenger race car, do I? I got a Formula no. Ford. What am I going to do? Is strap him to the engine cover? And Grant's a big dude too, so it's not going yeah. to go well. Um, so we had the harebrained idea to go and rent a Kia Cerato, and <laughs> I did my OLT on a tuning day in this Kia Cerato. And keep in mind, I'm 16. I've been driving a race car with a shifter in the right hand. I've barely been learning to drive on the road, shifting with my left hand. So I'm whipping this Kia Cerato around on a tuning day with like, uh, I think Hilsey was out there in the Falcon <laughs> going past and I'm doing 120 in a Cerato. Scared the shit out of me. And um, yeah, Grant was like, he's not confident enough with other cars. So yeah. <laughs> denied. Um, and it wasn't until some time later that someone observed me ripping around in the Formula Ford and uh, they made moves to get me signed off by watching me drive the Formula Ford. Yeah. That's it's crazy. Funny, it's a funny one. The it rules a changed a little bit after that. All those rules yeah. kind of changed and suddenly you could be younger, which was a fun one. Yeah, yeah I think it is hard. Like, yeah, it'd be hard with the single seaters, you know, if you're trying to watch someone. Yeah, how do you watch them? You can't. And because and, watching from afar, you can't see what they're thinking. You can't see their body language. No. They're behind a wall of fiberglass. So yeah. then, yeah, what do you do? I, I fully understand the, the, the thought process. But um, it was an interesting time. We were like, oh, we've spent all this bloody money on a race car and he can't even race the fucking thing. <laughs> 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 but I finally got to race, uh, I think it was July or August that year. So that was, yeah. ooh, 2008. I got to do my first race in a Formula Ford. How'd you go? Uh... I finished. Well, that's always good. I finished. Wait, did I finish? Yeah, I finished. I was down the back. I should ask. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't until then, the next year we were half decent, but still down the back. But then we decided to cut the car in half and uh, and make it into a stealth with fast lane racing. And then yeah. it started to get better with a better car. We were we were doing better, and we started running further up the front then. And so. Took a few years and I had like half a season off because I got sick. I was really sick. Um, 
and other things that just yeah culminated in the uh, the slow burn of my Formula Ford career. Yep. Until two years in a row being runner up in the state series. Can't complain too bad. No, no. Fonda's memory of the uh, Formula Ford time. Um, poor. Some of the battles I had were pretty sick, and I got to race against people like Scott McLaughlin, who came over. Um, he was in the process of getting his whatever supercars, super license needed to go race in Super Two and what yep. development series it was back then. Um, so you know we got to race with people like him. I got to race at a couple of supercars rounds. So probably the last supercars round I raced, which was 2011, um, racing in front of you know tens of thousands of fans, you know trying to show off to everyone in the world, um, and I was the leading WA car. So we finished third um, yeah. behind uh, Leanne Tander was second, and I forget his name, Scott, Scott something. He ran in uh, it was a race fuels Spectrum or a Megal. And he just pantsed us. He he was out front and then Leanne was in the middle somewhere and I was the next in line. <laughs> um, but that was probably my fondest memories because it was just a cool weekend. Yeah. But, uh, you know, there's only a few to select from because we did so much less racing. <laughs> <laughs> so what brought about the hanging up of the, the Formula Ford boots? Um. It's probably the same kind of reasoning. Now that I look at it, you know, nothing changes over time. Um, We got a little bit tired of doing the same thing and expecting a different result. And dad and I had always, it's hard to tell whether you give yourself the excuse or whether it's, you know, a real hardcore legitimate reason, but we never had the money to go testing a lot of the time. Um, So a lot of of our testing was just a quick shakedown before events. And I kind of had to make up the deficit on the day. And so we'd always qualify like crap. And then have to develop by racing behind someone and learning how to how to go quicker again. Um, and I just yeah, we just saw it was like we'd done enough and we didn't really have the funds to go further. And I was eyeing off some RC racing and having a lot a lot of fun doing it at the time. I just kind of started in 2012, which was my last season of uh, oh, 2013, 2012. So then we did some more racing in 2013. Um, but yeah, we just said now nah, it's time to park it and see if I fall back in love with it and then we'll go racing again. Otherwise, we'll sell it on. And then I never went back. We sold it. Uh, Jason, you bought the car. Okay. And it's it's been raced uh, by, by a few names in WA Racing. I think um, uh, Mr. Biddle drove it for, for a part of the season. It's unmistakable is, is my old car because it's one of the few short wheelbase stealth cars. So if you look at the bell housing and the stealth cars between the, the bell housing and the, the LD200 transmission, most of them have this big spacer in there. Uh, my old car doesn't have that spacer. So it's a short wheelbase car, which makes it um, a bit of a handful under brakes and more of a handful in the wet. So it was a good fun car to race. <laughs> so the, the RC said... Yeah, I think that's it's all standard. We're questioning here, but you know, how do how did you get involved with RC racing? Like, you go, I didn't realize there was actually such a big RC scene in Perth. Nobody does. Nobody realizes that it's an industry in itself. Right. Yeah, and not, now I'm seeing, you know, like, um, you know, Syrian, you know, always posting up stuff. Yeah, you know, he's in cars, there. He's, he's painting and building and stuff, and they're yeah, showing. I'm like, holy crap! Like, this is. You know, when I was a kid, RC racing was 
you know, either on someone's, you know, backyard with the old jet hoppers um, or, you know, there was this dodgy guy who had, I shouldn't say dodgy guy because, you know, chances are he might. Some, uh, I stand to agree with you somewhere but, <laughs> from you some know, of the like, characters in RC Racing. But, you know, he, he, was this, he was this dodgy dude who had, um, funnily enough, Auto One Malaga, all right, used to be many years ago a movie shop, like a, um, you know, like a, not a blockbuster, but, you know, that sort of a thing. Yeah. Right, many years ago. Now, down the back of that complex, um, there's a camera repair shop and something else. Yep. And there used to be and, an RC track out there? Yep. There used yep. to be an RC track there. Yep. That, so I never got to race on that one, um, but I heard a lot of cool stories about it. Yeah, that was the only thing I ever knew about RC racing. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure the guy that ran that track was a friend of the family. Oh, there you go. There you go. It is a small world. Like you talk to someone and they go, oh, you race RC cars. Do you know this person? Like, of course I fucking know that person. And and that's why I was going, oh, maybe I shouldn't say he was a dodgy guy. (laughs) Well, I don't mean like, you know, just. Oh, they come in all forms. You get good and dodgy and everywhere. It's fine. (laughs) Thank Uh, you. I'd always had an interest yep, in RC yep, cars. Yep, yep, yep. Um, you know, like when I was in my teens or, or even my early teens, I, I thought they were cool because we'd be at the go-kart track and racing would finish and someone would get one out and be ripping around until it breaks and all the kids would be like, oh, that's so cool. I love it. You know? Um, and then when I could afford one because I was, started working and like the maniac I am, you know, I didn't save for anything important. I saved for an RC car. Um, Fair enough. And of course, I wanted the most expensive RC car you could get. I wanted those, one of those big Baja fifth scales. Um, and my parents helped me to get it when I was just before we got the Formula Ford. And I did that for like six months. So just endlessly beating that thing to the ground and then breaking it and then having to pay for parts to repair it. Rinse yep. and repeat every week. Um, so then I still really enjoyed racing or running RC cars and just having fun down the local park. But I wanted to race. Like I got a competitive, competitive nature. I want to race. So it was 2012. I like went to a hobby shop and I was like, what do you guys know about racing? And I started speaking to the guys there and I went to the track and looked around. I started talking to a couple of guys at the track and they pointed me in a direction to go. And so I went and bought a car and started cobbled together all the parts and thought, oh, I can figure this out myself. You know, I'm a smart guy. Um, I've been to school, I'm studying engineering. I can figure it out. I knew nothing. Um, (laughs) So then, you know, I did the classic rock up to the track, all the gear and no idea. And I met some familiar faces, you know, Paul Cluck. um, Ran RC cars for quite some time um, and has done done some racing. Avid avid ice cream connoisseur back then as well? Oh, I don't know. Never never knew him back then. (laughs) But he was racing off-road. I got into the on-road side of things to start with. Yeah, okay. But yeah, I just showed up with this car that was cobbled together and then a few people helped me out. Um, I, sh- I even think my first night, I went to the Morley Indoor Track. The races, they used to race Tuesday nights on carpet at the community center near the KFC and the Morley yep. Markets. Um, I rocked up there and I think Anthony Lees gave me tires to use because I had these tires that were for like this vintage Trans Am, like old school muscle car kind of deal. And they just sucked on carpet. Like it was puppy dog <laughs> on an ice skating rink. And he gave me some legit tires. And I started in the novice class. I lasted about three minutes before I plowed it into the wall and literally tried to snap the car in half. But it got better. 
<laughs> I developed some more skill and I decided that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to keep racing. And um, I got into the off-road racing because that was more frequent. It had more people doing it at the time and I could race every Friday night. And then, I yeah, just that's all I thought about in my spare time for the better part of like six years from from when I started to, to the level I got to and, and racing so often. That's just all I did. It was an obsession. Without uh, giving away exactly what you spent, but what sort of costs are involved with RC racing? Uh, you can do it for quite like surprisingly little money. Um, there's the startup costs involved. You know, once you've got a, a decent car and decent amount of kit, yeah, you're carrying around, you know, a few grand worth of kit, but um, the the race day costs can be as little as twenty bucks. You know, but if you're like me and you're an idiot. And you love it too much and you want to be the fastest guy there, well, then you're going to buy all the crazy fast gear and you're going to travel and you're going to do endless practice. And so, yeah, yeah, I I was probably spending the entire Formula Ford budget um, and at some stages and then some (laughs) in my my big years of racing, you know, not including the cost incurred to travel over to Melbourne or travel to Sydney to, to race in state and national titles over there as well. It's pretty pretty decent amount of money, but it comes with the territory because you're, you're pushing the limit. And, you know, uh, we joked that I was single-handedly funding the local hobby shop for a while <laughs> just with how much money I was spending on parts. I had like weekly orders going in. Payday would come, an order yeah. would go in. The next week, the order would come. The... Um... What sort of what sort of like prize is there prize money involved with this racing with RC racing? Not at this level. Yeah, okay. you, you, you're grown men racing toy cars for plastic bowling trophies. Yeah. <laughs> it's um a friend of mine, Andrew Ford in South Australia, put it that way once, and that uh, you would think that would put it in perspective, but I still wanted to win just as bad. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, you look at like Super Tuca drivers, you know, they spin. You know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to go racing, and they get a five hundred dollar check for getting it on pole. Yeah, you know, it so was like that. If you if you actually look at the comparison of dollars spent to reward, it's probably about the same. It's a plastic trophy. Yeah, is what they're getting for their. For their you get the satisfaction of being like, I'm a race winner. Yeah, I beat yeah. this thirteen year old kid at a racetrack. <laughs> what well, by blowing in his ear? <laughs> <laughs> Not going there, jeez. I've raced against some really, really talented young kids actually yeah. that would show up and you know, dad'd be funding the funding the, the go and they just pick it up like crazy. And you just think, screw you, man. Like, I'm working as hard as I can and you just come out and you're faster than me. Go yeah. away. <laughs> but no, power to them, because they're talented and they're fast. Last time I drove a remote control car was actually on Beaufort Street. Oh, there you Sorry, go. Not Beaufort Street. Um, Sterling, Sterling Street, just up the road from the main uh, WA Police um, headquarters. Oh yeah. Um, well, I think it was their headquarters, but um, and they used to the police used to use Sterling Street as their um, little shortcut to get anywhere. Yeah. So I used to run a nightclub on Sterling Street and 
I'd actually be playing around with the the car on the on the main road, you know, when we we're closed and yeah, had a not bit much of fun. else traffic. And then all of a sudden, this cop car would come screaming around the corner, and so I'd I'd take the opportunity to race against the cop car as it screamed <laughs> down the road. Because <laughs> I figure if they got lights and sirens on, they're not going to stop and tell me off for having my go my RC car out on the road, are they? No, no. <laughs> Um, you're liable to get your car squished, but you know, yeah, yeah it's a no, risky take for the fun. A couple of them did did do a little swerve and you know gave me a cheeky smile as they drove off and, <laughs> you know, but um, yeah, it was good good times. Then we, we built a little track inside the club and up and up onto the stage and yes, that's the way off the stage into the, where the crowd would be and stuff. But you know, things you do, God. Anyway. Um, so, what was your what was your best achievement within RC cars? Um, geez, there was a few of them. Um, I'd say it'd be a tie. I'd have to say a tie because I just like touting, tooting my own horn about stuff too. Um, my first ever state title I won. Um, we went over to Tasmania for the Tassie titles. This is twenty fourteen, and I'd never travelled interstate like by myself before. Um, I'd never gone interstate for a race before and I was hanging with my RC mates from Perth. We went over as a group and we just had a, a mint time. Like we had this great little loft apartment um, near like the main nightclub area in Hobart and we raced and we came away with, uh, I won the four-wheel drive stock Tassie title plus top qualifier plus I was on the podium in two-wheel drive. Um, my t- my mates in the same class podiumed in two-wheel drive and our mate who was like the ringleader of the group, he won, I think he won both classes, two-wheel drive and four-wheel drive modified class. And it was just, you know, we got so drunk. That's probably the, probably the more fun part is we got really drunk um, and I had a great time, you know. Uh, but then the, the other one would be, it was 2016, I was the president of the club. So I did the dumb thing and got involved with running clubs, which anyone who's involved with running a club would tell you you're an idiot for getting involved, but thank you because, you know, <laughs> you've got to be a special kind of stupid to get involved. And I take my hat off to anyone involved in running clubs because it is thankless and it is a, an absolute heartache. But without them, then motorsport and sports in general just don't bloody happen. So, yeah. But I was the president and we were hosting the national titles that year. And I thought it would be a great idea to try and be president, host the national titles and race in the premier class, like the the fastest class of the national titles. In fact, I raced three classes that weekend um, and I managed to top qualify the final round of four-wheel drive modified um, through some absolute fluke of uh, everyone else slowing down because the track got watered and me having just not falling off. And that was enough to put me into the A final. So like the top 10 go into the A final. They're the guys who are going to race it out for the Australian title. And I, I made it like into position six or something on the grid just by more arse than class. <laughs> um, and I top qualified at my own race. You know, <laughs> that's that's my biggest <laughs> achievement in, in racing. Jesus. Um <laughs> So when when did you decide to pick up a microphone? Um, How did that come about? So I'd, I'd only been racing RC cars for a little bit. And <clears throat> sorry, it was 2014. And I was just getting involved with the club. 
and there was a cool cool guy there on Friday nights who was helping marshal everyone, and and he was doing a little bit of commentary on the the club racing, and and it was just cool because it helped with the vibe and the atmosphere. And I was at an on road race, and uh, it was just a club day. It was, I think it was Australia Day weekend even, and I thought, you know what, I can do this. And I'd been watching at the same time each night on Australia Day weekend was this big race in America called the Race of Champions. And my mate Painey, who was the ringleader of our of our friend group and also ran the hobby shop, um, was over there as an invitational driver. So he's racing against the best in the world in this crazy invitational class. And I was watching this live online at like two in the morning, just starry-eyed watching the pro drivers. And the commentary was just insane. It's this incredible um, Wisconsin-based voice of Scotty Ernst, his name is. And I just lit up and I'm like, I can do that. I reckon I can do that. He's yelling and screaming and it's so exciting. I reckon I can do that. And little did I know, Scotty's like the freaking voice of RC. Like you look up RC racing on YouTube, you'll watch the greatest RC car races ever and it's him. He's got this booming American voice that just is incredible. And so the next day I was at the track and I was running this on-road race and I thought, I'm going to gonna have a sneaky go at commentary here. No one's here to say no. <laughs> and I just picked up the microphone and started talking shit. And <laughs> suddenly you know, a couple of people didn't like it because it threw them off. But a couple of people said, oh, that's, that's not bad actually. And then it just snowballed from there. Um, you know, started doing it a bit more at my local club racing when I was – not racing, I'd commentate the other classes and just help to run things. And then the Whiteman Park Club, they had this trophy event on. It was late 2014. And they called me out there like, oh, you know, come commentate, you know, have a bit of fun. And I did it and I liked it. And then the next year they held the Australian title. And they said, do you want to come commentate the Australian title? It's being live streamed online. And I thought, cool, you know, meet the best drivers in the country. Um, you know, get a bit from my idols and get to commentate did that and then the Australasian title came up at the same track and I did that and I met the president of the Australasian region he's like oh, you're pretty good you know sound pretty decent um would you like to come you know if we have openings for you at two other tracks I said sure and then it snowboarded out of control really quickly because I got started getting phone calls to go to Queensland for the titles and then in 2016 I went to Beijing for the world titles um, with Live RC, which are the the main broadcasting house of radio control car racing across North America, and they travel the world um, through all the Asian region and stuff as well. And then I went to Las Vegas like a month later on mm-hmm. like a, a two-week notice phone call. Hey, do you want to come to Vegas and commentate the eight-scale world titles, the biggest class of racing in radio control cars, uh, you know, at the F1 of RC car racing in freaking Vegas. So I went to Vegas and I sat in the back of a trailer for six days straight like an idiot commentating RC car racing. (laughs) And it just kept snowballing out of control from there. And it was all in the build-up because at the same time, the local track, Whiteman Park, had decided that they were going to bid to host the world titles. So everyone started going absolutely freaking crazy in Australia because, oh, my God, we're going to have a home world titles. And so they built a national series to allow people to try and qualify in the build-up to Worlds of World Titles because you have to qualify to get in, et cetera. And so you have to prove that I'm better than that guy so I'm more eligible for a spot, et cetera. So they, they started this national series and I started traveling with them and I traveled all over Australia um, 
doing that, you know, we went to Brisbane, Canberra, Adelaide, Melbourne. We had a couple of rounds in Perth in the build-up to the the Perth Worlds. And um, that's when I met J-Mac, actually. <laughs> and I, I met this guy called J-Mac, and I've gone, oh, I recognize this guy. Um, was, it, is it, was it because you like, looked in the mirror when you looked at him? Like, <laughs> It's all a less uh, stouter version of you. <laughs> um, he was he was knocking around with a guy that was 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 doing some video stuff at the time, and he was it was the world's warm up race, I think it was, because you know we can't have just have a world title, we have to have a warm up race too. Um, and he was there and he interviewed me about about you know who I like and who I don't like and, and what what it's like with RC car racing, and I was like, oh cool, that's pretty cool dude you know i followed him a little bit and i stalked him a bit on facebook i'm like geez this guy does a fair bit you know he's been a, and this was at j max like height at that career level where he'd been over and done 400 thunder over at uh sydney dragway and stuff like that and i was like oh this, this dude might be a pretty cool mate to have here and he was pretty fun to talk to <laughs> and then it was like two weeks later it's like hey do you want to come to manjum up and do the management 15,000 motocross with me you're gonna do it with me and wade Orange. And I'm like, Wade freaking Andre, are you kidding me? Sure, I'll be there. <laughs> and it just, yeah, it just keeps snowballing from there over the years. One of my questions was actually like, when did you meet your twin brother? Ah, there you go. But answered you know, for you. You, just, you answered it for us. Yeah, so. May 2018, <laughs> the world titles warm up uh, the, at Wadden Park. The way, I mean, you, we've, I've had you obviously work on our commercial side of things, you know, together with him and like, you would have thought you guys had known each other for a lot longer than 2018, just the way you, you guys like were gelling on screen together, you know, it was special, you know, I've, I've obviously mainly only seen the stuff you did for me, but, um, you know, the, from what I could see, like, you know, you guys seemed to, as if you'd known each other for a lot longer was, was it because you look similar or was it? Uh, yeah. I'll put that down to J-Mac actually, cause I'm an asshole. <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm a hermit asshole that that doesn't like to get out, you know. And um, but you know, poke me and I'll poke back, and it's fun to just piss him off. So yeah. we got this really good banter going really quickly because J Mac is just so approachable and so easy to talk to. And yeah. yeah, it was very quickly that we we developed this knack of just being able to talk mad shit and uh and bounce off each other like that. Um, and not still and still not try and sound the same. Yeah. You fall into that trap when you're working with other commentators. You, you I, I do it a lot. I, I catch myself out all the time with the like, chameleon effect, and yes. you, you start to mirror them a little bit, and you start to sound alike. But I think J Mac and I, we we know our place, and we start to bounce it pretty well and have a banter, and it's it's uh, good fun. I actually um, sometimes with the, even with his podcast, I've got to be careful not to slip into talking like Brent. <laughs> <laughs> Brent's a very unique character, um, but I, I'd I'd say probably actually to be honest, like li- you know, like listening to you and J Mac and like getting some of your little little quirks you guys do, which I can't really talk, mention them. Well, I, I can, but like I can't exactly explain them right now. There's like little mannerisms and stuff yeah. you guys do when you talk. There is a the little um, things like that, and sometimes like I'll be doing, like, I'll be talking to someone and like blah blah blah. And then I'll I'll just like channel the Chris Mitchell or channel the J Mac and I'll be like, oh, don't do that again. Like, I found myself doing that um, after I'd spent a lot of time watching a lot of Scotty Ernst's stuff. 
Yeah. Because I, I, I modeled my whole commentary style off this guy. Um, and so I had this big booming voice and, oh, my God, you know. Uh, but I started hanging on to the R's a little bit, you yeah. know, like an American and, yeah. and, and changing the A's and that. And, um, yeah, then you sit back and go, fuck, who, who am I? Yeah. <laughs> Hang on a second. I'm Australian. Yeah. Yeah. And even like with the podcast, you know, the, the other thing with the podcast, so I, I try not to listen to any other podcasts, you know, because Good I don't want to, you know, and it, it sounds really bad. You know, like, I'd love to listen to like Rusty's Garage and, you know, a few of the other big podcasts, but I don't because I don't want to go, oh, that's a good question. I might start asking that, you know, or, you know, oh, that's a, that's a nice way of doing things. Um, yeah, we start doing that. And I think keeping everyone's unique styles works really well, like, especially like you guys have your own style. You know, you, shouldn't, sorry, you've got your own style. J-Mac's got his own style. Um, you know, when we have guests on the podcast, you know, who have been on a lot of podcasts or interviewed a lot, um, you know, they, they're usually pretty surprised that we're not like all the other podcasts, um, you know, like, we asked Justine questions about cars and, you know, technical stuff. And she was like, holy crap, like no one ever asked me this stuff. Yeah. Like it's always just, you know, oh, so, you know, not this exactly, but, you know, essentially like, oh, do you bake cakes for the guys? You know, like, yeah, the the, the sort of stuff you'd cliche ask a woman in motorsport. Yeah, the, the, the standard go-to, which is, it's good for some, but um, but keeping your individuality is really important in this kind of world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so obviously you went down to the Manjum Up gig with J-Mac. Um, at some stage you appeared at the Perth Motorplex. Yeah. So. How did that happen? It was 2018 and all my focus was on this RC car world title. Like yeah. that was the be all and end all. And I didn't even think of it like oh, if I do a good job here, I can get a gig somewhere else, you know? I can I can make a career because it's never about that. You, you think about that, you're focusing on it too much and it's never going to bloody happen for you. But um, yeah. I just wanted to, to, you know, do the event justice. And I did it solo for six days and it was like 16-hour days. And even I was I was picking up and driving um, Corey Drakenberg from 5150 Productions in Canada. He was making a documentary on the event and he, um, he crashed his rental car. <laughs> driving to the the hotel and so i said oh, yeah, i'll pick you up no worries and it was just cool to be able to hang with him and drive him around and got my face into his doco a couple of times you know cool little things like that but um i finished that and i sat down the next day afterwards just absolutely broken and i said well shit what do i do now my entire identity <laughs> was based around this one event and now <laughs> the event's done so yeah. what do I do in my life? I don't have a girlfriend. I don't have any ambitions. Like I'm borderline. I don't even want to race RC cars anymore. I just really enjoyed talking about it for all this time leading up to this show. And now the show's over. Um, and I, I knocked around a bit. I traveled over to Brisbane the following week. I just made a phone call and said, Hey, do you want me to come and commentate in Brisbane? I'll come and do it for bugger all money, you know, just cause uh, it was cool for, to be part of the nationals. And um, I did that, but it was boxing day uh 2018 and i took my dad to the, the sprint cars boxing day sprint cars you know um yeah. we've done it for a few years now by that point 
And I was sitting there with dad and uh, my friend, Riley Papalia, who I'd raced RC cars with, really cool young kid. He was on cameras on the roof. And a message, I'm like, hey, mate, took a photo. I can see you doing a good job. You know, good to see you. As and, we all do whenever we go to a racetrack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you see your mates, you send a message like, I can see you, yeah. good job, you know. Cool, man. Cool that you're doing this. And another mate of mine, Ryan Ramage, who I'd done that very first national titles with, commentating with him, um, Dr. Damage. He was in the production booth at the Motorplex. And I messaged him, I'm like, hey, mate, are you here? And he goes, yeah, come in. And I'll sit there, I'm like, oh, I'll go see him in a, in a bit. And I'm like, oh, where are you? I got the info and all that. And I said, I turned to my dad after a bit and I said, dad, I reckon I could commentate these things. I reckon I could commentate a bit of Speedway, a bit of sprint cars, you know? And he goes, well, give it a go. I said, you know what? I will. <laughs> and I, I messaged my mate, Ryan. I said, where are you? And he said, oh, I'm in this office. Come to this spot. And I walked in. I said, hey, um, what do I have to do to, who do I have to talk to about commentating here? Like, be cool. I'd, I'd like to do commentary. And Ryan turns to Ivo Fuentes, yep. who's the production guy, the, the kingpin, you know, at the Motorplex. And he goes, hey, Ivo, this dude's all right. Um, you got to talk to him. And Ivo goes, cool. Uh, you can start next week. We'll pass Wednesday with J-Mac. I said, oh, I know J-Mac. He goes, good. Be here next Wednesday. <laughs> it was the day after New Year's Day. <laughs> and I rolled in, still hungover, uh, straight from work on a will pass Wednesday. Did that one night with J-Mac and he invited me to come back that weekend for the Aeroflow Outlaw Nitro Funny Cars event. And he got me a, a wristband and I got to sit there and I listened to all the commentary. I watched all the racing. I walked around the pits a little bit and he came up to me at the end of the night and he'd been doing all the start line um, mania kind of guy, like what you've seen a lot of me doing lately. And he goes, do you reckon you can do this? I said, I reckon I can do this. He goes, I know you can do this. And then walked off. <laughs> and, and, uh, and then, yeah, I started started working at Perth Motorplex and I started just like everyone does, you know, doing Whoop Ass Wednesdays and you start doing a daytime show. Um, and then I, I just initially started just bringing my, my big excitement, you know, my childlike excitement for motorsports. Yeah. Um, but then I started getting really into it because I'm a freaking nerd. Like I'm a racing nerd. So I love all that stuff. And I started getting really into it and into the people and started meeting more people when it just starts getting, it's hard to say easier. But it does because it flows easier. When you're invested in it, it flows easier. Um, and then, yeah, J-Mac decided he wanted to go racing. And, you know, and right as the world shut down and and everything was in the shitter and we, we had nothing. And then it started coming back and they called me up. They're like, yeah, you're going you're gonna to be the start line guy. You're going to be the new J-Mac. And I went, jeez, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, yeah, now we're what, four seasons in? Um, and I, I, I just did, uh, the whole season on the speedway, which is, which is really cool. Um, yep. you know, I got that, that golden phone call from Gavin micro. Thank, thankful to him for, for calling me up and trusting me to go talk about sprint cars and late models and speedway racing on the infield and, and, and be the voice lent to that one. You know, it's, it's cool. And, uh, now, now the motorflex season is over. I'm sitting at home going, it's nice to have free time again. Um, on weekends and stuff, but um, when does the season start again? <laughs> when are we going back? The um, the motorplex um, on the speedway side, especially, um, you know, I, I grew up at Claremont Speedway, so the two voices that I you know introduced me to commentary 
um, you know, at that level, you know, well, at least locally, was um, Con Migro. Yep. And, um, oh, this is really bad now. His name slipped my mind. Um, the former Eagle. Um, oh, that's really bad. Come on, you should know this name. No, I'm going to let you die in it. <laughs> really? Yeah, I'm going to leave it to you. Well, oh. I'm, I, I, I honestly don't remember commentary from, from Claremont. I remember so, going as a kid with my dad. I'm so sure he, he came across the motorplex. Um, By the name of Carl Langdon? Yes. Yes. You bastard. He still goes too. Yeah. Um, Good old Carl. Carl Langdon and Con were like, for me, they're like, I love their commentary growing up. Yeah. Like, that was that was what I heard. And then, you know, to to get into that that circle, um, you know, for for you, I you know, when I was looking from the outside, I'm going, fuck yeah. And at the same time I was going, boo, because you know, now you can't do much work for me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it got a better offer, sorry, Shane. <laughs> um you know, and and yeah, like that was that was always the thing. You know, like comment commentary for for me growing up with you know, outside of that was you know like the legendary Murray Walker, yeah, who um you know cop, copped a lot of flack over his years for his his Murrayisms, but 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 people beloved he's beloved for that now. He, yeah, like yeah. He, he became this cult figure because of it. Um, but you know he he was he was also very knowledgeable and very. You know, he he had that good mix of knowledge and excitement about yeah, and him. Deeply passionate about it as yeah. well. Like, um, the guys who are, are passionate and love it, um, are the tragics, and and they're the guys who you want in those critical moments because they are going to convey that pure emotion. Yeah. To to the great moments, and and that's what defines a sport. And you know, like obviously, you know, he was he was commentating, you know, when Senna passed and Ratzenberger, Roland Ratzenberger passed, and you know, and and I I seem to remember like he actually made a point of pointing out that Ratzenberg passed away that weekend, where a lot of the other commentators on you know other channels were, you know, it was all about Senna, and it always has been about Senna since. But there's there's a few people who do bring up now, you know, more and more that hey, it wasn't just about him. Yeah. Um, you know, but he was he was commentating from God, he would have been nineteen forty eight onwards. It's crazy, isn't it? You the, know, the lifespan of the career. And the amount of stuff he would have seen. Yeah. Um, you know, and he's and he did what? He did nineteen seventy six to two thousand and one for Formula One. Incredible, you know, like and and for you know someone and to watch, you know, like and you you sort of see you you know he probably had the same sort of start out as you you know like just going around knocking about going yep I can do this I can do this yeah can do this well everyone's got to start somewhere right yeah and and you know no doubt the first thing you do are probably going to be a bit crap but um if you're excited about it and you want to do it more then you just got to keep pushing. And uh, and hope that one day it comes. You've um, there's a couple of young, well, there's definitely one young kid doing speedway up at the motorplex. Speedway or drags? Speedway, drags, speedway. 
for talking about my young mate, Josh Starling. How old's Josh? Josh is always going to kill me now. 20? Nah, there's a young there's a young kid that does Speedway every now and then. Oh, on the infield? Yeah. Morgan Melvin. Yeah. Morgan from the telly. Morgan's yeah. a great bloke. <laughs> Morgan's a great bloke. He's so much fun. How old's he? Oh, geez. I actually don't know. I would like to say Morgan's younger than me. Uh, maybe it's not him. I'm going to stop looking now. I swear there's like a, a 10 or 12-year-old kid. Oh, jeez. He's going to kill me now too. Bentley Summers. Really? Thank you. Bentley Summers. Bentley yes. Summers. What a pocket rocket. And I can't believe you. I mean, I have a good excuse for not knowing who he is. Oh, man. I, what's your excuse? Oh, poor. His dad, Brad, is going to murder me now. Nah, he's, <laughs> he's a ripper kid. Bentley is going to have our jobs. Yeah. In, in the next 10 years, man. Like, he's 11. 11. He's 11. And, uh, yeah, he's a firecracker. Loads of fun. And, you know, and his dad's investing. I mean, he's got his own pages. He's got his own race commentary page. He's on... Yeah, um, I've seen that. Geez, I'm, I'm surprised if he's not even on LinkedIn by now. But, you know, he's, he's got his TikTok going and he's, he's pumping out media and he's doing all this fun stuff. He's commentating RC car racing. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's going to have our jobs, man. Well, she's looking at a lovely picture of you and him at uh, Perth Motorplex on April 17th. Oh, yes, on the, in the box. That was a fast Friday night. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, my first play-by-play call at the Motorplex Speedway. And yep. I um I got to share with the one and only Jason Crow and young Bentley. Did he give you some tips while you were up there? He did. He did. He, um, he told me I was too loud. Yep. I had to move the mic away, microphone further away from me. Yep. And uh, he was filling me on, in on who's who, um, yeah, okay. especially in some of the cars and classes that I hadn't really called and seen much before. So um, yeah, right. he's all over it. I got, I got to do it. Actually, I did a box call with him. We did the Outlaw Carts uh, Invitational over the Christmas break up at West Coast Outlaw Carts at Pinjar Park, and, yep. uh, and we did it together. And I, I said, I'm going to film the Invitational race, and we're going to go a few laps each. And uh, I'll publish the video of the Invitational Race and you can use it for a, a bit of an advertising reel for yourself. Okay. And, and then we proceeded to have um, 17 restarts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Always exciting. Your idea. I wish we should get him on and have a chat with him. Oh, he'll be up for it. Have a chat with the young fella. He'll be all, all up for it. They're, they're great people. Always happy to, always happy. I've always got time for young Bentley. Here we go. I, I found the photo of uh, him and I on the 31st of September. <laughs> oh, sorry, 31st of December. Can't believe you forgot who, forgot his name. I know. I'm, he's going to kill me. I'm going to get a message when this drops. Can't believe you forgot about <laughs> well, me, Chris. I'll make sure I especially tag him in it to say that we chatted about him. And then, yeah, just, you know. Do you, do you wish you you started earlier with your commentating, or do you think that everything you've that you did, yeah, in terms of the different racing stuff, helped? Um, I'd like helped to say I, I wish I started earlier, but I probably would have been booed out for being a shithead if I started any earlier than I did. Um, <laughs> still a shithead now, so uh, <laughs> I'm pretty crass too. So you got to take it as it comes. But um, but no, I, I think I could have probably started when I was earlier. Um, I probably could have made some moves in various directions earlier. Um, 
you know, I probably could have chased Motorplex a bit earlier, but uh, everything happens as it happens and you can't change it, so don't regret it. Just go yeah. with it. And of course, you've done uh, karting. Yes, done a lot of karting. A lot of karting commentary. Uh, that's which, it's an interesting uh, interesting area to be in. Yeah. Um, aside from the movie. Oh, yes. We've all heard about the movie. the movie. Yeah, we talk about the movie a lot on this podcast. Um, what, what's what been your favourite memory within karting, like commentating karting? Uh, the kids, man. Because that was my childhood. Yeah. My childhood, my life revolved around go-karts. Bugger school, bugger friends, bugger after-school sports. I'm waiting for Friday afternoon when Dad's picking me up early so we can go to the track, you know? Um, and, and seeing that still remanating in the kids' You know that the landscape of karting has changed a lot since then. It's it's no not as much of the 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 dad and kids, you know, towing a little trailer to the track and going racing. Um, that still exists. It, it don't get me wrong, but at the at the higher end now, um, it, it's it's teams and it's and it's driver coaches and it's investing a lot into your your boy and and then your girl so you can go racing. But and and for the better because we build a better product out of that. Um, it probably just makes it a little bit less accessible. But aside from that, the kids are still the same. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, all the money and the team colors and professionalism from coaches and parents can't change that the kids are still kids. They yeah. still get out of the go-kart and they'll run off to the pits together with kids they've probably just been ready to punch on with um, <laughs> or parents might have just been ready to punch on with and, and they'll go kick a footy at the back of the track, you know. Yeah. And and But, but the emotion that the kids put out um, are probably – uh, probably get in a little bit of strife with someone. Someone will go, oh, bloody hell, of course he said that. Um, but probably my favorite moment in, in karting, uh, karting commentary so far was the state titles last year at, at Hurricane Go-Kart Club, Wendowie. And it was a bit of a, a balls up of a weekend because it was the first one in a long time where the state titles had been decided by points rather than a dead man final. And so there was these millions of calculations going on and J-Mac's giving me all sorts of hell because I'm trying to calculate who's going to be state champion <laughs> in real time during the race. Yeah. But this little kid, Chase Webb, an absolute pocket rocket of a kid. Um, he's got a brilliant family around him and they're, they're beautiful people. But this kid, he's he's got these Poindexter glasses and he's always smiling and he's always happy to be there. And he came out of that race through through what happened with other kids as the state champion. Yeah. And I got down to, to the Ingrid and his parents can't get to him yet because the gate's still closed. And, and and they're on the sideline crying and he's crying and I'm yeah. crying and we're all crying. <laughs> and and to see these, you know, eight, nine, ten-year-old kids so invested in racing and enjoying yeah. it so much and, and riding the, the wave of highs and lows like, uh, I, I interviewed the kid. I interviewed Chase. I said, I'm not crying. You're crying, man. How do you feel? Yeah. And he's struggling. Like, <laughs> man, just like it wasn't even a good commentary moment. It yeah. was just a good moment. Good moment. And I love it. Yeah. Now I'm crying again. Oh, I'll get some tissues if you want some. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, I must admit, like, I, I need to get up and like get more get more around karting like it's, you know, I've, I've only managed to get to two, two karting meets in the last few years. And, you know, the, hur the Hurricane um, 
King of the Hill a couple oh, yeah. of years ago. It's always a good um, show. It was just amazing. And, you know, we had we had tall Tony on before that, um, Tony Arambasic. And, you know, he said, you know, like it's it's like a mini Formula One, you know, you got the the but you've got all sorts of levels at the Formula One. You know, you've got grassroots Formula One teams, which obviously don't exist anymore. Um all the way up to the the big shows and you know rock up and like sure enough you know there's like big full-on trucks and yeah you know tents set up and then you got the little family outfits working out the little pit garages and it's yeah, amazing it's, to watch it's incredible and i think i i love karting so much probably because i do get so nostalgic about it about about my childhood racing and, and going to these same tracks that I used to race at. You know, there's yep. not a, there's not a new go kart track in the state. We've had the same number of tracks for a long time now, and we have a lot of tracks in WA. Um, mm. I think it's in the teens, upwards in the teens, even. Um, I couldn't even tell you how many we have because I don't read the books that often. But <laughs> we have a lot of amazing tracks that have so much character. Every single one you go to is different, and it requires a different approach. Um, and the kids can adapt this talent. And then you, you see the kids that grew up in my time that then, you know, discovered life and, and, and they were boys, so they discovered women um, and, and family and, and work, and they went and did that in their 20s. Yeah. And then they've come back and they're bringing their kids. Yeah. And suddenly these kids that I grew up with are now growing up like I'm supposed to be. And they've got their kids out there racing. And now I'm remembering my childhood with their kids yeah. <laughs> racing as well. Like, and that's cool. That's really cool. Um, it's just such a cool thing to be part of. And and the racing is incredible. Like you think it's just, you know, Johnny Tubov racing Jimmy Van, but they, they they are racing hard out and, and they, they are wheel to wheel. It, it, like, I couldn't get over that. I mean, one day was my first. Was honestly like, you know, my first, my my whole watching, my my whole enjoyment of motorsport has only ever really been, you know, like Formula One, old school V eights, um, and you know, circuit racing, Wanneroo Speedway. Yeah. Right. Um. So. Yeah, which would probably surprise people because they're oh, you're so involved with motorsport. Like, surely you've like been around everything, but I haven't. Like, and you can't. Yeah, well, you can't because there's just not enough time. Um, but like, karting like is something that I just got so blown away by that first time I went up. You know, just go to one Dowie and just check it out, and I'm just like, this is amazing. You know, it's such close racing, and you know the the fact that some of the carts were. You know, like driving up the back of the other carts and getting latched on for a couple of laps until they came loose, and yeah, you know, like just insane. You know, like yeah, you know, so obviously some of the older older competitors were uh, pretty fiery. You know, I've got a I've got a lovely one run one frame capture of um, one of the seniors got turfed off the track. Um, you know, in a, in a collision, first corner collision. Um, and just in that split second, he just the middle finger came up, yeah, and the middle finger went back down. But I've actually got the middle finger up. Oh, I think that's actually a kid. Is it? I, th- I think I've seen the picture. I think oh. I know who it is. Really? Yep. So I think so. I, I remember it correctly. It wasn't even turn one. So here's a, here's a photographic memory. I think this is at the bus stop turn in the middle of the track at One Dowie. 
No, no, no. This is definitely turn one. Definitely turn one. All right, all right. You're going to have me hung one. up here because yeah. I've seen there's another photo floating around from I think it was the same event at Wandawi. Yeah. And uh, I'll, I'll let you pull up the photo from your archives and I want you to tell me the number of the go-kart. Yeah. Because i tell you now, it's probably number 63. Because I know there was a couple that uh, I'm wondering if I didn't actually publish it up on the up on the site. It might be sitting in the in in the other archive, um, you know, where we put the bonehead stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's actually in there. Yeah, it's not in this archive. I reckon, I reckon we're going to find the photo after this and, and I, I reckon I could tell you who it was, but I won't yeah. spoil it. Um, I won't spoil <laughs> it and we'll see if we can get it out there. God, what was that? 2020 King of the Hill. That's the one. Yeah, it was 2020. Yeah. You published the whole album. No, I I kept a couple that I didn't. I think I might have put it up on social media. Yeah, I, that's um, I'm, I'm looking at your, your social media. I'm going to go find the albums. I've got a special, I've got an actual different archive, which is like the full size stuff we keep away. Um, while, while I'm looking, because I can multi, I can multitask. Um, Go on, I'm glad you can. <laughs> um, back, back at, well, God, it would have been about 2020 or 2019, a movie got made in Western Australia. Yes. Called Go. And this led to some very interesting discussions on this podcast about um, uh, Belmont go-karts which no longer exist, so they can't sue me, um, but about the fact that like a lot of people wrote off that movie because they instantly thought it was like go-karts at Belmont. Yeah. But obviously what it was was what we're talking about, which is like the full-on go-karts. Thing. Yeah, outright full-on racing. Yeah, with the baddies, which were based out of Arise Racing. There's another bill I'm going to send to them for mentioning them. <laughs> um, you know, and I mean, it completely did everyone's head in, you know, in Perth. It was like going, hang on, you're at Wanneroo Raceway, then you're at Morley, then you're down in Bustleton where it's supposed to be taking place. And But anyway, um, how did you get involved with that movie? Um, it's a funny old story, and it just happened almost organically again. Um, I was commentating. It was a Western Cup round at Warneroo go-kart track and I was sinking my teeth into it. Absolutely loving it. It was a great race. It was the kids again. It was Cadet 12 putting on some insane racing. They were like three, four wide going down the straights and stuff. And there was this funny looking fella in the back of the commentary booth. Yeah. Oh, just well, on the side, you're just sending yeah. me the photo. That's yeah. who I think it is. Okay. So that's, that's in junior. Really? It's in junior I class. I the adults. Um, that's Ethan Traeger is his name. Yeah, right. And he's outright flipping <laughs> the other guy off. We know exactly what he's saying. <laughs> uh, I thought that was in some of the uh, – one of the – Geez, the actually, I could even tell you who the other driver is, who he's flipping off. So that was the formation lap, I think. Or that was the, about the formation lap and then – Happened just off, just yep. off the shot. Like it wasn't. I'm pretty sure it was not that cart that was involved. It was another one. Yeah, but yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a great shot. Young Ethan, he's a great kid. Um, yeah. Anyway, back to the movie. Yeah. Back to the question. <laughs> um, 
so there's this odd fella in the back and he was filming and and he was in the he was in the tower at Wanneroo. No one goes to the tower at Wanneroo, but this guy was in there. Yeah. And he, he, you know, when you look at someone, you go, "Oh yeah, you're a film type, or you're just a, a photographer." Like someone you haven't seen before, you you can spot someone. You go, "Ah, oh, yeah, he's one of those kinds of guys." Yeah. Um, I I clocked him from a from a distance while I was commentating, and I was like, "Oh yeah, okay, what's going on here?" And then afterwards, he comes up to me, and he goes, "Um, here's my card. It's for some I forget what it's now, media movie company." And he goes, we'll call you soon. I'm like, yeah. oh, okay. And then <laughs> I didn't think much else of it. And then I was walking around a little bit after and my young mate, Riley Papalia, was walking around because he was filming that day as well for his own personal um, portfolio shooting video and stuff. And he goes, oh, did you see those guys from the movie company? They reckon they're going to make a movie about go-kart racing. And I'm like, go away. They're not going to make it. <laughs> Who's going to make a bloody movie about go-kart racing? He goes, nah, Seriously. Like, did they give you a card? I'm like, yeah, he gave me a card. He goes, you should call him. You'll get in the movie. And I'm like, all right, whatever. Um, and then I didn't call anyone. And somebody tagged me in a, one of those open casting call yeah. posts on Facebook. And the the call was looking for a 35-plus uh, male, um, preferably with a beard, to act as a commentator in this movie. And they're saying it's going to be shot in Perth and all that. And I'd seen some comments and the ta- people are tagging their mates and all that. And and a couple of people have got tagged who, who you know, thought they were shoo-in for the role. And I was like, that's the same media company that this card is. So I rang the guy and he goes, yeah, just apply. Just apply through the thing. Don't worry. You're old enough. Just apply. And I'm like, okay, whatever. Um, so I put my application in and then continue to read the Facebook comments. And there was a few people I knew from the commentary world who mm-hmm. were who were um, being mentioned. And then someone commented on the post that mentioned me. And they yeah. go, oh, he's too young. He can't be in. It says for this age, he's too young. <laughs> and I'm like, now I'm definitely going to be, now I'm definitely going to apply. Like just to, just to say the same thing that Ethan Traeger was saying in that photo. Yeah. <laughs> just, um and so I applied and then a few weeks later I got a phone call and they're like, yeah, you're the guy we wanted to apply. You're the guy we wanted. So you're going to be the commentator at the state championship. I was like, cool. All right. Yeah. Tell me where, tell me when. And I got to, I did, I did one day of shooting. That's all I did. I, I had a few cool lines that they sent me the day before. Um, yeah. They gave me this great um, hit list of incredibly bad one-liners, yeah. like, like the old, um, Murrayisms, yeah, uh, they were really bad. Like he's hugging the inside curve like it's his favorite granny. Like, like that. It's all over the back of him like a cheap suit, you know. Uh, one I still use is his. Re- looks like he's wrestling an octopus behind the wheel. Still use it. I use it. I poached it. I claimed I gonna, it. I was going to say, oh, did you keep some of those just to throw in as a bit of a? They're hidden on a piece luck. of paper inside one of my drawers. I've yeah. actually lost a bit of paper, but they're there somewhere. Um, yeah. but yeah, I. I pinched a few of those great one-liners. They are fantastic. <laughs> um, but I, I got the call up to do this thing and I, I shot some of these things and I didn't think anything of it. And then years passed. That was April 2018. And I grew out this massive hobo beard to make me look older because they wanted me to grow a beard. Yeah. Um, and I looked f- like quite rancid. <laughs> and uh, I, I actually used that photo as a profile photo on Tinder. 
which landed my partner, Brittany. So it couldn't have been too bad. <laughs> um, she says nowadays that she hates it, but I'm sure that's what, what, uh, what got her on the hook. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, years went by and then this movie finally got released and, and we went and watched it and it was not bad, you know, not a, not a bad little clip, but um, yeah, funny. They, they used um, oh, Gus Warland. Yep. What's he from? He's from Outback and Adventure and Fishing shows and cooking shows and stuff. Um, so his dad, Steve Warland, I think it's his dad, was the writer of the movie. And Gus was the commentator at one of the events and I was the commentator at the, the middle portion of the event and they used Richie Howlett yep. of, of Power Crews and Summonats and Motorplex and Ravenswood Dragway days um, as the, the third commentator at the national title scene and it was cool i was part of something really cool i was part of a local production you know i got my little tiny bit where all these young hotshot racing drivers got to spend days and days claiming to be a stunt driver i got my got my little 30 seconds of fame in a movie and i got an imdb credit out of it so how about that nice very nice it was just a cool cool thing to see that that everyone in karting was wanting to get around it and yeah. everyone wanted to be part of it and and that People enjoyed it. People had fun. And even if the movie, you know, wasn't a, a blockbuster sellout or a box office hit, it, people had fun doing it and, and we got to be part of a movie. And oh yeah, look, I think it was a pretty cool movie, like watching it. Uh, it could have been just, you know, obviously they're, you know, doing the, that's Chris Petrol and, you know, like trying to work out, you know, who, who the local, you know, drivers were that were, hidden under those go-kart yeah you know and we spent a lot of time doing that watching the movie trust me yeah but i think that that also obviously played a bit of part in it as well because it was like you know yeah trying to figure out who was who and yeah um, yeah which is yeah pretty cool but um so um look on a scale of um actually no that's not too bad no, I'll find something else. Um, so Brent sent a couple of questions across. Uh-oh, here we go. Um, so he's, uh, he's basically asked, like, what's what's your favourite form of motorsport? That you're oh, calling? that's going to get me thrown under the bus. I know. Um, I, won't ask, I won't ask the other question he asked around that, but we'll just ask that one. Um, Formula One. I, I know it's cheesy and you're going to pay me out, but Formula One is the thing that I'll get up late at night or early in the morning for and nothing else will get me out of bed. Like, you want me to be at the drag strip at 9 a.m.? Good luck. I, I Formula One's on, though. I'll be up. I think he was meaning about more what you're commentating. More what I'm commentating now, yeah. yeah well, yeah. hey, interview me again in a few years, you know? Yeah. Nah. <laughs> um, <laughs> wow, now I sound like a dickhead. Uh, uh, for what I do now, hang on, hang on. I can hear, I can hear from the the peanut gallery. What do you mean? You're just realising now? <laughs> yeah. The spoiler is I've always known. Um, geez, my favourite form of motorsport probably still is the karting. Yeah. Um, it's just all love, man. And I can go in there and I can have the most fun day ever just talking about racing, getting excited about it and, and talking shit, you know, and, and I can do it on a live stream 
and everyone's loving it. Everyone's having a ball. And I can walk away, you know, and, and go back to the pits and see people and everyone's happy. Everyone's having a good time. Yep. They're a great bunch of people and, and it just pure excitement. There's not the pressure, I guess. Probably one of the reasons why I do enjoy it so much is that the pressure, you don't feel too much of the pressure, but I guess that's because I enjoy it so much. Yeah. So when you enjoy it, it comes organically and you don't need to worry too much about it. Hmm. Um, he's, he, Brent asked about, um, now we haven't really touched on it, the sim racing. Now you've been sim racing and you started out in a, in a go what a gaming chair and a yeah here we go Thrustmaster T ninety or something was was that about where you started yeah um, something along those lines I forget now I spent too much money on them yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but he's actually just was asking like have you have you got any thoughts about jumping back in any form of you know I don't want to say real motorsport but like real world motorsport um yeah I've thought about it a, a fair bit. And it was funny because I guess it, it it's I thought about it in terms of what scratches your itch, right? And so I did karting and Formula Ford for all those years, and that scratched the itch. Yeah. And then I went RC racing, and that scratched the itch. So I didn't really think about going back and driving anything. Um, nowadays, I don't have as much chance to go RC car racing because I'm usually busy a lot of weekends and stuff like that. And so sim racing has been the thing that scratches the itch on weeknights and the odd weekend when I've got some spare time, I can jump on. And if I've got four or five hours, I am just glued to this thing. Yeah. You know, and that's scratching the itch. But I guess it kind of lit the fire again to want to drive and and think about driving in that manner again. So it was, you know, winter last year, I, I, I drove dad's laser up at Wanneroo in a regularity before the freaking 40 days and 40 nights of rain came in in about two hours um, and flooded the place and we had to, had to bail out, but that, that kind of lit the fire in the belly. So over, over the last few months I've thought about it like, Oh, and everything I look at now, I'm like, Oh, it'd be fun to drive that. I stand on the infield at the speedway. I'm like, I'd love to race a formula 500. That looks like (laughs) fun, you know? And, but I, I just, I don't vocalize it too much. I guess I, I, you know, I talk smack on the mic and say, yeah, I could drive one of these things, but I don't vocalize it. Cause you can't just go up to people and go, Hey, can I drive your race car? Yeah. Cause people go, no, it's my baby. <laughs> I wouldn't, I didn't want to let people drive my race car when yeah. I had one. So no one's a chance of letting me drive their race cars, but um, it'd be cool. It'd be cool. And I thought about, um, you know, putting some money aside and, and building up some funds just to go to a drive day in say a radical or something like that. I thought about doing the formula Fords again, but then I think about, okay, I've done that. Yeah. I did it. So I could go do it again. But would I be adding to my experience? Would I be getting much out of it? Or would I do a few laps and go, oh, yeah, this is a Formula Ford. I remember this. Yeah. It's stuff like that. But I've definitely, definitely thought about um, getting out there in, in, a, in a car once again. And I've had some opportunities to run Dad's Laser. Um, I was even thinking it, about doing it at Collie this weekend. Yep. And dad was making phone calls trying to see if I could get out for practice on the Sunday morning because I'm commentating on Saturday at Bunbury City Kart Club. So right. uh, <laughs> he was bringing around <laughs> and I'm like, dad, my license has expired. Like <laughs> I'm too tired already. Let's, let's not stress too much about it. But um, yeah, right. yeah, you never know what's around the corner. I might uh, might try and swing my way into a seat somewhere. If Brent's offering, you know, there's the Viper. 
<laughs> or I'm even the XL. I could rip the XL. I've already got dibs on the Viper. Oh, so. you got dibs on the Viper. All right. Well, I've got dibs to be hopefully the first one to turn some laps in it. Oh, there you go. Um, so there may not be an opportunity afterwards. Um, you know, those, X, those XLs look like a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. The XL Cup cars. And the fact that it pisses me off that I've taken my turbocharged Hyundai i30N out there and Tom is still faster in the XL Cup car <laughs> than my 275 horsepower turbocharged i30N. And it kind of annoyed me. But. Because <laughs> Tom Hammett, we had on, uh, God, season, oh, season two, episode two. He was supposed to be on episode one, but Buddy Adam Marjoram just barged his way in and took over that episode. Oh, so. Good old Marge. Good old Marge. You gotta love him. <laughs> He's a good bloke. Me and Marge go way back. We we grew up racing at the same time. Yeah, right. And running carts at the same time. And and there was a period of time where we, we kind of knocked around as the two families together on yep. practice days and stuff. And I I never forget uh Adam rocked up to the two thousand and two state titles with brand new pearl white side pods. <laughs> and dad that's like a big target oh it, it kind of was because dad went 50 bucks whoever can put tire marks on these pods <laughs> and uh adam made it all the way to the final without putting tire marks on them yep. until some little shithead called chris mitchell comes along and <laughs> literally mounts him and spends the entire of turns one and two like on top of his side pod yeah and just tire marking him up not intentionally <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. I was nine years old, but yeah, yeah. but yeah, Dad never did gave me that fifty bucks either. Fifty bucks? No, <laughs> never got the fifty bucks. <laughs> I think he spent. I think he reinvested it back into our cart. So oh, okay. we'll, just, we'll just say right. that he spent. You're even. You're even. Yeah, spent too much money yeah. over the years on that. <laughs> <laughs> Marty's a good bloke. I go see him every once in a while. He's good value. Yeah, absolutely. Your um, your dad's pretty good value. Um. I actually enjoy having a bit of a laugh with him at the track. Um, and I don't know if it embarrasses him or annoys him, but uh, every chance I get, I yell out, hi, dad. As <laughs> past him. Yeah. Um, and, and dad's you, funny. Usually, yeah, it depends on, I think, what mood he's in. I think a <laughs> thumbs is. up, a one-finger response, told where to go, ignored. <laughs> it's It's when you're ignored... That's when you worry because usually yeah, okay. when he's got a thumbs up, he just wants you to go, okay, go away. Yeah. With one finger response, he's usually smiling behind it. Yeah, yeah. So he's having yeah. a bit of fun with you. Yeah, I've when got a you're ignored. On, the, uh, on one of the uh, go kart, on the golf buggies after I've Yeah, when ground, he's on the golf buggy fanging around. When, when he ignores you, though, that's when he's looking the other way and under his breath, he's going, oh, for fuck's sakes. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm probably swearing too much on your podcast. <laughs> that's all right. You didn't tell me not to watch my P's and Q's. No, 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 no. We I mean, we tell all I guess. I well, we usually do tell all I guess. You know, like if it's part of the story or it's natural, you know. But if you're just saying it for the sake of saying it, well, yeah, you know, I'm probably fall into the second category most of the time. Yeah, but that's just you, you know. <laughs> I mean, Jess Dane was oh, there's a bit of a cute moment. She's probably going to hate me for saying it was a cute moment, but um, she was just talking away, and you know, and she just said shit. She's like, oh. I didn't mean to swear. I'm so sorry. And I was like, and I just went, oh, for fuck's sakes. Like, I can't believe you swear on my, swear on my podcast. There, there's, there's a few different types of people that live in the same person, right? Yeah. There's what you see 
<laughs> and, yeah. and apparently what you've learned you've told me is 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 what you've seen at the racetrack and then what you've seen on my twitch stream yes yeah, <laughs> very yeah. different people very different people very different people yes no you definitely you look like one of the like a care bear <laughs> when, when you're down at the track you know like bouncing around and you know, I, I need to get a video of a Care Bear walking around and, like, get some video of you walking around. Just show you, Just show you, like, <laughs> how close it looks. Like, it, it's actually quite funny. Um, and then, yeah, watching you on your, your live Twitch stream and you're just like, you're like the evil Care Bears that come when I get hallucinations. Oh, yeah. So when yeah. I get sick, when I get really sick, I actually, and, you know, everyone hallucinates when they get sick, right? Yeah. Well, my hallucination whenever I get sick is an evil Care Bear. Evil Care Bear. Evil Care Bears. Yeah, they surround the bed. And, oh, you know, I yeah. have um, uh, HP desktop printer volcano. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's a that's a weird one. I, that started when I was like eight. I got um, croup. Yeah. Yeah, I got croup, and that comes back every time now. Every time I get seriously sick, printer volcano. Yep. Every time. Yeah. It's bizarre. It's it bizarre. Me. But anyway. Um, now you've already mentioned your your helmet ritual, um, but is there any other sort of superstition or, uh, or ritual you have around your racing? Yeah, there's a, there's a few. Um, aside from you know wanting to to you know just zone out and be quiet for a minute, um, it always has to be uh, left glove first, um, which everyone has like a side they prefer. Um, I would always have to get into the go kart, the race car, the simulator right foot first so yeah. from the left hand side um and i think it started from the go-kart because i was shit scared of kicking the airbox on the motor yep and scared of like breaking it off or something falling off my shoe and into it and lunching the motor so i'd always get in from the left hand side and if i couldn't i'd get like a bit rattled um yeah. and that's just hung with me forever um, with the RC cars, when, when I was really nervous about, about racing, I'd, I'd go off and take a wander. Um, I'd always have to go for the pre-race leak. Um, and then uh, the funniest moments that, that, that time, that weekend in Tasmania, I almost actually peed my pants, um, waiting for the start timer to go off. Um, cause I was so nervous. And even though I'd done the pre-race leak, a little bit still tried to come out. It's <laughs> when you're nervous. Um, <laughs> But I saw, uh, I saw a great a great thing on TikTok, and it was um, it was as every man when they go to the toilet, and it's like the, this animation, and the guys, you know, like talking to his to to you know his junk, and going like, "Are you done?" And, you and done? Junk talks back and goes, "Yep, yep. You sure? Yep, yep." And then you know, pull the pants up, and he's like, "Oh, just a little bit more, just a little bit more." <laughs> yeah, you can't help it. it. Makes us like disgusting people. It does. <laughs> um, Sorry to everyone that's uh, any any person listening out there that doesn't realise this, but yeah, doesn't realise we're disgusting pigs already. Um, this is the thing. Like this is the thing, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna put this out there, and I'm not gonna get crucified for this. In all the time that I worked in hospitality, and it was twenty something years, I would gladly go and clean. The male toilets. Oh, okay. You're going down this road. All right. You want to die on this just, hill? All I'm going to say is because you can just hose them down. <laughs> okay. You hose them down. You spray some stuff. They're clean. Yep. That's all I'm going to say. Yep. All right. I'm glad you, you decided not to die on that hill. I'm not going to go for the rest of it because I think anyone that's working in hospitality will know the pain of the other side. 
But anyway. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yep. Aside from those obvious, I don't think I really had any other pre-race ritual, like superstitions. Um, I'm not overly religious, so yeah. there's none, none of that stuff. But, um, yeah, just get on with it. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. What are your uh, What are your plans for the future? What do you want What do you want to get to? Like, obviously, you mentioned you know you would love to do some F one commentating, but oh, wouldn't everyone? Um, I was hoping my, my shot at fame was uh, the Ask Crofty event when uh, David Croft was in town in the lead up you know, to I the Ask Crofty. Something about this. What some people thought there was a bit of a stitch up going on. Um, I feel like there might have been. Um, it was kind of premeditated. Well, I I, I saw it and um. I saw it on Facebook and I, when I eventually found it on Facebook that the advertisements for it, it was already sold out. And I went, oh, bugger, I'm going to miss out on that because I just wanted to go see what it's like. And it's cool to hear these kinds of stories and, and get an insight into into the world of Formula One because everyone's desperate to see and hear about the heroes. But yeah. um, it was sold out and I was a bit bummed. And then I came home and it was a Sunday night or something like that. And I saw that because of the COVID restrictions changing, that it opened up to 75% capacity. So they'd had a B reserve of seats that they'd opened up. And I immediately jumped on it. And then I said to my partner, Brittany, I said, oh, do you want to come to Ask Crofty? She goes, no. And I went, oh, <laughs> guess I'm going by myself. And I went, oh, hang on. Got a mate in, uh, in the world, you know, Gianni Lutsu. Wants to, might want to come along. And I rang him up. I say, hey, mate, it's 50 bucks. Do you want to come to Ask Crofty? And he goes, I'd love to. So um, we booked tickets in like separate seats and stuff, just knowing full well we were going to break those rules. Yeah. And and went along. And I was hoping to get to meet him, but I hadn't been one of those pay-to-play kind of guys who bought the full like in-depth meet-and-greet tour with food and wine and all that stuff. and yeah. And props to people who do that because i mean you guys are the ones who are really paying for crafty to be here we're exactly. just paying for the for the nosebleeds experience um <laughs> but he he was talking about doing some stuff and he had the opening laps of bahrain uh this year yeah and he goes does anyone fancy themselves a commentator and johnny's just straight away eyeballing me and uh a mate of mine chris murphy who I, i've known for a few years through rc car racing um, good mates with uh, the Spencers and the, the Spencers, the Spencer family, yeah. Um, had Stuart Spencer home with him a couple of rows back, and he goes, Go on, Chris. <laughs> so my hand goes up, and I, I know what's about to happen, and he points me out, he goes, Come on down. I'm like, Oh, here we go. And um, he wanted to, he got us to, to talk about ourselves and, and play it up a little bit, and then commentate over the opening few corners of uh, the Bayron, Bahrain Grand Prix. Did he ask what you do for it? Like, Luckily, no. Yeah, okay. But I was first up. Yeah. And I just bit into it. I've not (laughs) watched the Bahrain Grand Prix because I was busy. And so I didn't even know what was about to happen. I just kind of, he did it. He did it himself initially. He played what actually came over the broadcast. Um, And I just bit into it. And I looked over it and he's kind of like mouth open, eyes wide, (laughs) like, oh, Okay. <laughs> okay. And I got a good rip from the crowd. Like, okay, I guess I'm a little bit good um, compared to people who've never done it before. It's like beating kids at RC car racing. It feels good, yeah. but you know you're already. already... Just beating kids in general. You know, but... <laughs> um, 
and, and it was cool. It was a cool moment. I felt I felt famous. Uh, like, oh, cool. Maybe Crofty can give me a job now. Um, <laughs> but he gave me a signed uh, Lando Norris uh, McLaren F1 hat yep. instead, which I then uh, sold. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but I went back to my seat. I felt pretty cool. And then uh, there was a few people from Motorplex who, you know, yeah. spectators, fans, uh, crew, whatever, um, in the crowd. And they're coming up to me. They're like, oh, you could have told them, Chris. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah I could have. <laughs> it wouldn't have been as satisfying, would it? No. <laughs> wouldn't have been as cool to walk up there and go, you know what, actually, I'm probably disqualified from this because I, I make money and I do this a lot. No. No. I'm going to go there and be like, it's my first time, so I'm, I'm really nervous. Hey! And just well, come out swinging into it. As if you thought you sucked. Yeah. You know, like and you knew that I did it for a living, then that's just yeah, the worst yeah, thing yeah. ever. Yeah, exactly. You know, whereas... You know, got the reaction and off you went. <laughs> yeah, got the reaction and then I, I DM'd him on Instagram. Yep. And it left on red. Yeah, yeah. Fully left on red. I was like, oh, that's great. So Cro- Crofty actually, Crofty's replied to my message before. Oh, well. Um, <laughs> he's just making me feel worse. <laughs> Maybe he sees me as competition. We'll say that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> um, no chance. Well, um, yeah, no, we we tried to um, get him on the podcast last year, and um, somehow I actually missed his reply. Oh, good job! Yeah, so I think he now thinks I'm just another prick. Well, but, um, yeah. Well. <laughs> I mean, if you read what's on social media, <laughs> yeah, it depends on who you talk to, right? I mean, the same said about me. Depending on who you talk to, you know all about that. Yeah, exactly. God, if if my DMs could talk. If my screenshots could tell stories. We've all got them. Oh, dear. Yeah. No, anyway, Crofty. Crofty. Yeah, so, um, but, yeah, no, so, yeah, that was, um, yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, a few people were going, oh, it's got to be a stitch up. And I'm like, no, I don't, I don't think so. Like, just pure luck and yeah it just had to be there yeah but i i, I still like I, I i see people that i've known for a long time and I, I i see people i catch up with people that um that you know i don't talk to that often and you know through racing and their family and friends and whatever and they go oh do you still work full time and i'm like yeah. yeah i still bust out my day job the same day job i've been doing for eight years now um I still put on my pants one leg at a time, guys. Like I'm just a normal bloke who just likes to talk mad shit about race cars. And they're like, oh, you're going to be on the radio. You're going to be on TV. And I'm like, no, not, not really. Like if the phone rings, great, because I will certainly take it up. Yeah. And um, and no question, like, of course, I would love to chase it as a career. And and as opportunities come along, it creeps in a little bit nowadays. You go, oh, maybe maybe I could do this. Maybe I could give it a go. Well, um, if you continue to measure your success against, you know, am I ever going to be on that TV and, and, and make a living and be this world-famous guy, then probably never going to be happy with it. Yeah. Um, so I try to try to humble myself. I still get caught up in it. I think yeah. everyone does. Um, but I try to humble myself and go, cool, I, I really just love talking about race cars and motorsports. Cool. And if the phone rings and people want me to go to their track for their event and, and do it for them and they're willing to pay me money too, how can I lose? Right. 
exactly. until one day where where if demand becomes so incredibly high that uh that i can tell my partner all right you're the sole breadwinner now i'm gonna go live this freelancing lifestyle you know where i might not make any money this month or i might make bank and we can go buy a new house (laughs) (laughs) um until we get to that stage i'm not not gonna really think about it too much but um it would be nice it would be really nice it would if if it keeps phone keeps ringing and we keep having fun and i keep getting to meet some cool people then i'm all for it yeah and that's yeah i mean don't want to make this this episode about me but uh you know that that's that's the same attitude i've taken to everything we've been doing you know i've been doing um and you know building what i've built and um you know like i think it's awesome like i get to live a life of talking with people like yourself yeah um you know all the way through to you know mark sutton you know f1 photographer who's been there you know who's got some massive stories yeah with you know, some of the greatest women's in sport you know like molly taylor um you know local people like just yeah it's it's cool you know and you still and still always i remember you know like yeah like uh, it's it's a it's a privilege to be able to do this if you can make money doing it cool yeah but absolutely that's not focus i stood i stood and, and humbled myself at the the final round of uh, the speedway season at the motorplex, and went cool. I've I missed two events of the whole season, yep. but I've I've been the face that's been on people's TVs on Dirt Vision all season from the motorplex, and and I I've been part of this the stories and this environment that builds around all of this. The same for the drag racing. Um, I should be so lucky. Yeah. Like, pfft. If you had told me I was doing that stuff and, and being on TV when I was a kid, I would have said you're an idiot. Sure, I was a chatterbox when I was a kid, but no one ever would ever think that you, you'd get to this stage and it just happens. It feels like it just happens. Like we still work hard for it, but yeah. <laughs> it feels like it just comes around. So it's cool. Now, if you could commentate a race Ooh. with one particular driver any form of motorsport, like, you know, doesn't matter, you know, live or dead, we'll bring them back to life. Apparently we've got this really wicked machine. We can do that here in the, uh, behind the sport office. Um, there's one driver in motorsport that you could commentate a race for. Who would you want that to be? If I could commentate a race for them or with them? Oh, well, either or. Um, As you know, let's do this in two parts. Okay. Okay. Commentate the race four, so they're out racing. Yep. Who would you want to commentate a race for? Senna. Yep. I know you roll your eyes, but I don't roll my eyes. Like, <laughs> Senna, look, I have like I grew up watching Senna. Like, yeah. Um, I cried when Senna died. I yeah. got invited um, by the Perth Brazilian community to go watch. Because um, I had someone working for me at the time, as a Brazilian, I got to go with the Perth Brazilian community to go watch the premiere of Senna, the movie. The movie, um, awesome. And and I fucking bawled with them, <laughs> like you know. And that I mean that was partly the environment I was in as well, you know. Like yeah, I have a you're with lot the, of, you're with the of, people. 
his yeah, people. You know, then, and, and, you know, a lot of people do say Senna. Yeah. And, and it's not I know a lot of people way. do. Because you know, he, sometimes when people, it. but, you know, like obviously we haven't let you finish answering the question. <laughs> some people just say Senna because he was, you know, Senna, but they don't have a real answer. If you know no. what I mean? Like yeah. They just go, oh, because he's a big name, Senna. Yeah. Yeah, but obviously you're about to tell me why. What? Because he put on some of the most incredible driving performances that anyone has ever witnessed and and with this seemingly divine intervention like to to lend your voice to that and to try and articulate that for the people i mean the days of of murray walker no one will ever top that no walker talking about center no one will ever top that but to have a go at it in real time not knowing what's going to happen not 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 just going over and redubbing a race, but to to have been around in that time or to be around now, if he was around, would it just be the most surreal thing to do it for Senna. I think yeah, you, and you are very right. Like there's no, it's going to be very hard to find a driver that's. You know, Senna had good cars, Senna had bad cars, but he still found performance in every single one of those cars, found gaps where gaps didn't exist. Like, yeah. Insane, insane driver. You know, yeah, just a driver at times, which, you know, a lot of people don't don't say out loud, but, you know, he was a shithead driver at times, but that comes with racing. Yeah. Um, you know, and... He he's at, he did you know he did a lot of activism stuff and a lot of you know stuff around you know poor people in Brazil and you know he grew up very wealthy in Brazil, um, but you know a lot of his money went back into Brazil to to the poor areas and to you know, children and that um, without the grandstanding that you see nowadays when when you know oh I donated a hundred dollars you know worship me yeah. Yeah, it's it it's, would have been cool. Yeah, but um, now who who would you want to commentate with? Uh, that I don't know how to answer. Um, but you'd have to you'd have to say, geez, actually, I, I'd really be stuck on that. I don't know who I would want to pick if I could take anyone into a booth and commentate with them. Um, I would want the most outspoken ready to go without a care in the world personality just and happy to to throw themselves in front of the bus <laughs> like no matter how much i would try to to steer them away and and help them not you know derail their entire career i i would love to just have you know the 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 classic bathurst you're all a bunch of assholes moment you know like whoever's yep. going to give me that and not for not for the career value yeah, but for the for the moment, for just abandoning all care, <laughs> all care of what someone's going to think about what you say. What about Nico Rosberg? <laughs> um, <laughs> I I jumped that into someone's DMs. Definitely abandon all notion of yeah. what people yeah. think. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, if he walks around in public saying stuff like that, he might abandon his teeth. <laughs> <laughs> Especially around people who don't like Lewis. Oh. Um, sorry, who do like Lewis, but um, yeah. but even then, people who don't like Lewis, 
I'm yeah. like, they go either. Uh, <laughs> it, I it's just a funny thing. Was able to, I just like, like the, my, I mean, I don't hate, well, even Hamilton, I don't really hate. I just, I have a, a, a dislike of him based on his, his actions and on and off the track. Um, and Nico never really f- like floated my boat as a racer. Yeah. Um, until he got into the mind, like the head games with Hamilton. And you that know, was fun. That, and that was just like, yeah, like that's how you beat him. Like that's how you beat Hamilton as a teammate is to get into his head. And, you know, like don't be the number two driver that you're supposed to be. Um, yeah. Rosberg just obviously went, well, you know what? Yeah. This loses me the contract. So be it. You know, and, and they had some coming togethers, you know, like the crashes and stuff in that 2016 championship yeah. was just oh. that that was just like him going, Yep, yeah, screw this. And that was Hamilton going, I don't know how to I don't know how to counter this. And that's some of the some of the great moments of that era in racing yeah. as well. Um I, I would actually uh, you know, give it some thought. I would love to take Sebastian Vettel into a booth. Yeah. And not yeah. even for what he's done in recent years, becoming this icon and people have enjoyed who he's become. Yeah. But I'd love to take I didn't, I didn't Red like Bull him. Racing Sebastian Vettel yeah. into the booth. If I can choose what era he's from as well. Really? Like the, he really yes. came across as not having a personality back then, though. So bullish, though. Yeah. So bullish. Well, and he did have it in his contract that he was allowed to be like that. So <laughs> that's that's their prerogative, man. Yeah. But um, yeah. no, nah, that'd be fun. Yeah. But hard pressed, man. There's so many amazing drivers out there with amazing personalities that you'd be hard pressed. It'd be hard pressed to find someone who I wouldn't want to take into a booth with me. Just you know, come on, come talk. Yeah. yeah. The um, I think I've, I've I've posted up a thing over the last weekend. You know, the, everyone was saying that Vettel was wearing the boxes on the outside to protest the FIA's ruling. But yeah, based on his behaviour lately, I probably making a point about someone else on the grid. I firmly believe that that was about something on someone else's <laughs> behaviour. Um. And it's actually interesting to watch, and I'm probably going to have this chat with um, um, with Sean in our in my other podcast. I do um, is uh, is the um, there's an interesting tide going on with with Hamilton at the moment and his supporters, and he's losing a lot of them. It seems to be the way. Um... It comes and goes with the eras, yeah. with the years. But but even like some of the people you see, you know, with their, you know, LH44 usernames and stuff, like even they're starting to go, come on, just go racing. Like, yeah, you know, stop being a child about the jewellery thing. And, <laughs> you know, anyway. It's entertaining to watch, if anything. It's yeah. entertaining to be a spectator and a fan of the sport. Um, even if you don't like it, it's still entertaining. Yeah. Oh, look, I think the racing's been great in Formula 1, but anyway, that's that's not this podcast. Um, <laughs> um, well, I think that actually wraps it up. I think I think we've dribbled enough shit. I think we've got to know who you are and what you plan, what you want to do. <laughs> Certainly. I think we've uh, <laughs> talked enough smack. I don't know about much of good content, but... Um, oh, I think there's plenty of good content. I've probably put out a few ideas about what kind of person I am out there. <laughs> um. Yeah, the uh, but look, you've got a up until Motorplex starts again. Where where are they going to hear you? Like, 
should we just send them to your Twitch stream or? Um, you know what? Actually, someone came up to me uh, a couple of months ago. Carl Partland came up to me. Carl Partland right. of the uh, of yeah, the, the big drag stuff. Yep. Um, he came up to me. He goes, "You know what? I've watched some of your Twitch streams, and if you just talk less, you would do so much better." <laughs> like yeah it's funny when in my early days of rc racing i was you know a little shithead young guy and someone said to me chris if you could race half as fast as you talked you would be a world champion and uh now i, pr- I would probably be inclined to agree with him but um <clears throat> twitch streaming probably not so much because i i've I've had a crack at it and I actually just enjoy racing now. Yep. Um, and it allows me to be more of a shithead. Just no one can see it, which is probably better for my reputation. Um, <laughs> and only my close friends and guys who I'm racing with, like Gianni, can really witness the uh, the true shitassery that comes out of my mouth and in my <laughs> on general behavior. I've had two iRacing protests in three weeks <laughs> come my way. And, and I I didn't do anything wrong. I'm innocent party. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you see on my, on my feed that I've been removed from iRacing for a couple of weeks and been given a little holiday to keep it that way. Um, But no, I I still have an active account. I'm still racing. So uh, racing tomorrow night, Formula 3 Australia should be fun. Um, But over the winter, uh, I'm not going anywhere. Um, I'm still going to be around. It's just in less events, which is a nice change. You get, you know, recharge and stuff. Um, You would have heard me over the weekend. I was in Sydney Dragway for Top Fuel, which was cool. Um, You might hear me in coming weekends. Uh, at other venues uh, anywhere around the country, coming to a racetrack near you, um, it'll be cool when we can when we can get get the stuff out there and and advertise where I'm going and stuff. But uh, for the most of the winter until we start up again, I'm gonna be at all the major karting events around WA um, with a couple of chances and opportunities to travel around the country uh, to various locations for for other drag racing events and stuff like that. So. If you really want to follow me, um, just wait until Motorflex season because there's the best chance to see me. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but um, I think everyone can take a deserved break from hearing me on their radios, advertising for Motorplex for a little while. And uh, if you really want to hear me, come to the karting because it's a it's an absolute hoot. Um, I'm in Bunbury City Kart Club this weekend for the Coastal Classic, um, and I'll be back there in September, late September, for the West Australian Kart Championship. That got moved to Bunbury. It was going to be at Coburn with Tiger Kart Club, I think. Um, otherwise, uh, King of the Hill at Hurricane Go Kart Club. Um, Gold Star Final at uh, Midwest Kart Club up in Geraldton. It's always a fun time out there. Um, and then we'll be, we've be we got City of Perth titles, which I think has a clash weekend. I'm not sure. And a few other things. Um, might go back out to Kalgoorlie in November for the Dash for Cash. It's always good fun out in Cal. Um, I finally got to go out there last year, which was really fun and uh get to get around it but it's really fun get around some karting it's great motorsport over the winter because they can race in the rain and when it does rain it's so much fun awesome thank you very much for joining us thank you man because you know brent didn't turn up oh yeah brent's got this thing called work at least at least he's got a you know at least he had a good excuse (laughs) Yeah, not like Max McRae. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll uh, catch you around. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And uh, make sure you head on to behindthesport.net and uh, you can find out where to hear all these episodes. Um, although you're already listening to it, so you should know where to hear them. But just in case, 
Go have a look. Shane here from Behind the Sport. Thanks for listening to our latest episode. If you don't already follow us, head on over to Facebook and Instagram. Find us on there. Give us a follow. Or visit our website, behindthesport.net. Catch up with the latest motorsport news. Find all of our previous episodes. And, of course, you can leave us comments on those as well. You can also find us on your favourite podcast provider, such as Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, iTunes, and more. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.